This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Gabby Reese and welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. My guest today is author Mr. Robin Sharma. You might know him from some of his past books, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, The Saint, The Surfer, and The CEO, The Leader Who Had No Title, and now his latest book is called The Everyday Hero Manifesto. I'll be honest, sometimes when I interview someone like Robin, who is really high polished, he has it together, he talks to a lot of people, he works with powerful CEOs and well-known athletes. You know, you're trying to figure out a way in. And I really appreciate it because not only does Robin have so much information, he really genuinely wants all of us to live our best lives. But we get into, hey, listen, what if we feel buried? Just what are some starting points? Because I never want to have conversation that it's like, hey, it's just this easy, these three steps, you know, things like that. We, we even joked about how everybody loves, quote, tactics. So what I enjoyed so much was that Robin has the ability to bring the human elements to the tactics. Because you do need a strategy, but also, you know, it's having that understanding of well, where are people right now, today, in this moment. And for a lot of us, it's harder than maybe someone else. And we look over and they go, oh, it looks so easy for them. The truth is it's it's not easy for anyone. And he also shares his personal story about having it pretty tough when he was young and pursuing a career that he didn't love as a litigator and pulling out of all of that and self-publishing his first book at 25. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. Robin, thank you for coming to my home. And uh, you're my first guest that has um, someone with you that now we're, Justin and I are going to, we're going to toe the line, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Yes. So your book's out. Well, this book, this is your latest book. You have so many books, and, and we'll talk about that, The Everyday Hero Manifesto. Maybe you could just start with your own journey, because it is interesting. Usually if someone has such a serious occupation like a lawyer, that's the track, and they're off and running, and you, and you jump the track. Well, uh, you know, I come from very, first of all, thanks so much for having me in your home. And yeah. it's, it's just such a delight. I followed your career for so many years and it's, it's great to finally meet. So I come from very humble beginnings. I wasn't raised with the silver spoon in my mouth or anything like that. 
Um, when I was a kid, I was a bit of a misfit. Not People didn't think I would amount to very much. I was put down a lot. I was laughed at. I talked about, you know, one of my mentors, Cora Greenaway. But you're right. I was encouraged to be a, a doctor or a lawyer. Right. And I think, you know, one of the greatest recipes for heartbreak is living someone else's life, whether it's your mother's life or society's life or your neighbor's life. And our instinct is so much more powerful than our intellect. And I betrayed my intellect and I just fought or I followed my intellect and I did what people encouraged me to do. So you're right. I became a lawyer, a litigation lawyer. I had all the, the shiny toys. I did, had everything that people said, well, if you have these things, you're going to wake up and you're going to feel good. The only thing, Gabby, is I'd wake up and go to the bathroom mirror look and look at myself and didn't like the man who was looking back. And so what's the point of being successful in the world and losing yourself in the process? Yeah. And so that's why I started uh, on this odyssey, uh, trying to figure out how I could be happier, how I could be more fulfilled. And I wrote a book and the book took, took off and it led me in a new direction. And you self-published that book, right? In a Kinko's copy shop. Uh, my mom was my first editor. My father helped me sell it at Rotary Clubs. My first seminar was 23 people. 21 of them were my family members. So it started from very humble beginnings. Now your family, I think a lot of people, especially when they're younger, you know, they they feel like a misfit for some reason or another. Mm. Um, was yours um, cultural? What, what was making you feel outside and feeling or or an opening that people that was the thing that they they sort of poked at you for i think i'm an artist more than anything mm, kids love that too they really <laughs> get that don't they you know i just i'm i just i love ideas i think outside of the box i march to the beat of a different drummer and uh yeah, like the teachers thought I'd be a vagrant or a drifter or not amount to anything. Mm -hmm. And it really wasn't I, until I started writing where I felt I found my sweet spot and work didn't become work anymore. I mean, I just, being a litigation lawyer, I was good at it, but it's so it was so aggressive. Like, you know, people would just be yelling and screaming and it's like, who wants to live like that? Yeah, that's, I always thought it'd be interesting to be married um, to a litigator, but I am curious as a litigator, and you and you said you were good at it, where do you find the other side of your personality? If you, you know, have this artist mentality, because you do, like there's a, you know, when people see your work, there's a part though, there, there is structure and order mm -hmm. and the free, you know, it's like this combination. Mm -hmm. So was it, a, was it just a complete compartmentalization of who you were as a person? Like, okay, I have to be this guy to do this job. Or were you still able to do it in the way that was still unique to you? I've never been asked that question. I find it really interesting. And you're right in my work, there is the lawyer, the, the structure, like in the Everyday Hero Manifesto, the frameworks, mm -hmm. the languaging, the processes, and then there's the, the artistry and the chapters on spirituality and happiness. I think as a litigation lawyer, I had to pretend that I was someone that I wasn't. Mm. And I think that's why it drained my soul so much and it was so difficult. I think I had to put on a social mask, you know, be hard and and strong and all of that stuff uh, just to survive. And, and I think, you know, our, our, our soul and our spirit knows where we're meant to be. I think joy is a wonderful GPS. And I really do think that instinct is more powerful than intellect. I think one of the challenges we all face is we run our lives, our businesses, our productivity from our heads. 
But, uh, you know, I took my son to see Michelangelo's David in Florence uh, maybe four weeks ago. Mm. Well, that wasn't made by a man who was in his head. The great works aren't made by women or men who are in their heads. Like the great masterpieces, the great progress of civilization, the great inventions, the great symphonies were all by someone that was trusting their instinct and not betraying themselves. And I think one of the challenges people face is there's so much pressure to be who the world says you must be in order to be successful. And then people become successful, but they lose their self in the process. And I think the happiest, richest people might not have a lot of money, but they're they're rich of spirit, they're rich of creativity, they're rich of honor, they're rich of their values. Because Leo Tolstoy wrote a short story called The Death of Ivan Illich. And mm-hmm. at the end of it, Ivan Illich asked himself this question. He said, what if my whole life was wrong? Yeah. There, um, it's funny, and Will Smith did a book, and his dad, when he was dying, I think it was this sort of, like, did, it, did I make a difference? Did it matter at all? I think it's a very powerful thing. So let's say someone's listening to this, and I, I think we all get the pulling, the yearning inside, a lot of us if you know you're doing one thing but your spirit is saying hey there's more there's something different Mm because maybe it isn't about more it's just about the right thing is what are the steps you know you you get solicited and you work with very successful people Mm -hmm. ceos and you know very wealthy people and very famous people and athletes and all these things but let's say that's just the common man who's maybe trying to pay their bills and I think a lot of people feel buried under um, responsibility, obligation, and, and maybe they're, they're beat up a little bit. Maybe mm-hmm. they're tired. Mm-hmm. Life makes you tired where you, you know, this, this thing that you're talking about, this, ha- this, uh, this gives you energy, but it also takes energy to, to make things happen. How do we invite people into that conversation where it's, Maybe you are under it. What are the first steps? Is it is it writing down a dream? Like what is that? What does that look like? Well, I think it's it's a really honest question and a very good question. I think there are are a lot of people who are beaten up and a lot of people who say I can't do this. And I did an interview the other day, and someone said, "Well, this all sounds like a lot of work." And you know, to me, living a hard, miserable life where you're betraying your values, you're not living your healthiest life, there's no awe and wonder in your heart, you Mm. don't have anything to look forward to, is a lot harder than doing the work I talk about in the Everyday Hero Manifesto, you know. But it is like a generational, I'm I'm with you. I'm on on your team. Like you're definitely, that's how we try to live. And I get my butt kicked on a regular basis in all facets, parenting and business just part of life Mm -hmm. but i understand the other is a death Mm -hmm. if you don't try to go for it Mm -hmm. but i think sometimes i feel anyway that people there i see so many people where you're like did they ever were they born behind the eight ball and did they ever get a chance was there one mentor one coach one teacher one parent you know you you talk about like when you did your book your parents your family they're there right I think a lot of us have had people who've reached their hand out. I had coaches, mm-hmm. let's say. I'm just wondering if maybe someone's sort of in it and they don't have anyone with this thinking around them. Sure. Well, 
we can get into the tactics and you can have people around you through their books, through their podcasts, through their audio books. It's so, so we live in an amazing world right now. And I think yeah. you can commune with the greatest minds on the planet through their podcast. You can walk into a library and read a mm -hmm. book that shows you a whole new sense of possibility. But if I may give Gabby a little bit of context. So I think it's the, th the third chapter in the Everyday Hero Manifesto, and it's called The Gold Miner's Paradox. Mm -hmm. So many thousands of years ago in ancient Thailand, there was this golden Buddha, and people revered it. It was this priceless national treasure. And then it became clear that invaders were going to enter the country, and they were going to possibly steal this golden Buddha. So the citizens hatched a plan, and they said, let's cover it with layer and layer and layer of mud so the invaders and the warriors don't see this golden Buddha. And the plan worked. A hundred years later or so, there was a young boy walking by and he saw this glimmer of gold behind this mountain of mud. So he and his friends got together and they started moving through layer upon layer upon layer of the golden Buddha. And every time they moved through more and more soil and mud, more and more gold began to shine. And eventually they worked through all the layers of mud and there was this pure, incredible golden Buddha. And I think, you know, human beings are born into genius, but we get re resigned into difficulty and stuckedness. But I really do believe that every beating heart, and, and there are no extra people on the planet, everyone has talent, everyone has willpower if they can access it, everyone has productivity, everyone has creativity, everyone has decency. But what happens is from the moment we're born through our, our parents and the people around us and the media and our teachers and the messaging, we receive this programming of fear, doubt, disbelief. And then what happens is we, get, we receive it so often we forget who we truly are and we create a story. And the story is I am stuck in success. Maybe it's fitness and health and love and productivity or prosperity or impact on humanity. That's where the Hedy Lamars and the Shakespeare's and the Elon Musk's mm -hmm. and the Oprah Winfrey's. It's a story. And so we can talk about how do you What's the antidote to the story? Well, the antidote is actually waking up to the simple idea that we, are, as human beings, we have the power to change. Let's go to the neuroscience. We are blessed with a phenomenon called neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. We, as a human being, we are built to change. How do you do it? Confucius, uh, Lao Tzu said it really well, the thousand mile journey begins with a single step. So anyone listening now who's saying, okay, I wanna start owning my power, expressing more of my genius. I want to live a better life. What do I, where do I start? You start. You want to be a marathoner? You take a walk. You want to eat better? You have the first smoothie. You want to turn off your phone and let go of Netflix or a, an addiction entertainment? You read the first page of the book. You want to build a business? You watch the first YouTube video. You want to fall in love? You ask for the first date. And every time you do something you were resisting, you take the power you gave to the thing you were resisting back. And mm -hmm. if you do it every day with practice, you rebuild yourself. And over time, you start to change your identity and remember who you truly are. Do you have, and I, I can say for me personally, I'll, I'll be really forthcoming. I, you know, I was raised in the Virgin Islands. I didn't have the most stable childhood. And then when I started working, I was around a lot of successful people. And then once I became a professional athlete, I was then around very successful athletes and also even business people. And then, you know, living here in, in Malibu, it's like I know a lot of successful business people, but it did look like their personal life had a lot of collateral damage. Mm -hmm. So there was something in me 
as a young person that wanted to make it better and easier for myself. There were certain things that I saw the adults in my life where I thought, oh, this looks too hard. It's like, I'll work as hard as I need to have a car that works, if that makes sense. But in there, I, I think I put another programming on myself, which was reach for, for it because the opportunity is a gift, right? Like don't blow the gift. I knew this very early, but don't be too successful because it might destroy your real life. And mm. there was another side of me that thought that, that the real life whatever that is for each person felt more important that somehow too much success didn't alienate me from my partner, that it didn't ruin my children because somehow I had seen that a lot. So there's an interesting thing where I have had to really look at myself and say, yes, I wanted a certain amount of success, but not too much because that might ruin your life. Cause I'd seen that story a lot. And so it's funny for me, I'm personally always sort of looking at that. Like, why are you putting limitations? Like, okay, some, but not too much. So I'm actually trying to receive that grace and take away those limitations and have that belief that I can manage my marriage and that my kids will be okay. I'm just wondering if there's anything for you that you see like that you're hung up on, you personally, that you're like, oh, you know what? I still got to wrestle that to the ground a little bit. Is there like a belief that that's in there that you're like, oh, this, I'm, I still have to, I'm still working on this. I, I, I mean, do you have another two or three hours? Yes. <laughs> you know, I've got so many of those beliefs. I think, I think the thing about being human is the top of one mountain introduces you to so many other mountains to climb. And I think, um, you know, this, this journey of, remembering who you truly are. It's like once you heal one wound or identify one program, you realize they're linked to so many other programs. Mm -hmm. For me, there, there, are, there are so many of them. I have a lot of work to do, yet I've been working on myself very strongly for 21 years. And what I would say is I've, I have a lot of work to do, but I've come really, really far. Mm -hmm. And I really like the place I'm at right now. I have a lot of inner peace. I love my craft. I've got an incredible family. My parents are in their 80s and they're healthy. But one of the things I've struggled with, I believe we have core wounds. Mm -hmm. And one, there, there's a chapter in the Everyday Hero Manifesto that talks about, you know, our blessings are often our curses. And you know this better than most people. I believe a lot of super achievers have a chip on their shoulder. They were never good enough for mommy or daddy. And a lot of the billionaires I mentor, nothing is enough. And you're right. They have the jet and they have the yacht and they have the mansion. They have huge levels of high net worth, but their hearts are broken because they never got to know their kids. You know exactly what I'm speaking about. Or they have everything in the world, but they can't enjoy it. Because they're so they they've layered so much complexity into their lives, and they're dealing with you're right, and they they're dealing with so many things. And so, rather than watching a sunset or having a great meal or even taking a nice trip, they are so addicted to their phones and the complexity and their responsibilities. They're never in the moment. And so, what is the point of having all the money in the world if you don't enjoy the beauty of of a moment? So, one of the core wounds I, I have. And as I say, I think a lot of elite performers have this. It's not feeling enough. And it serves as an incredible catalyst to, to high performance, as you know. Yeah. Because it's always about making things better, leaving everything you touch better than you find it. Put, 
Robert Louis Stevenson said, go to the edges of your limits so your limits expand. So I always want to play at the jagged, ed the razor's edge of my craft. I want to see how far I can go. That is really, so it's good for the craft, but mm. a lot of my life it left me feel, I never felt I had done enough, achieved enough. And, I, and honestly, of course, I want to be so honest with you, at the core was I didn't feel like I was enough. Mm-hmm. So that's been one of the things, and, and a lot of the people that I mentor, they, they deal with that same core wound. And that's why in my methodology, so many people in this field talk about mindset. But I actually believe there are four interior empires to calibrate if you want to really find true mastery as a human being, but also be happy. Mindset is your psychology. And of course, your psychology is important because you know, as an athlete, your behavior reflects your identity and your belief system. Mm -hmm. But mindset is only 25% of the personal mastery equation because that's our psychology. But human beings have a beating heart. We have feelings. So there's the second element is your heart set. That is your emotional life, like working on upgrading gratitude and all those positive emotions, but learning how to work through shame, guilt, disappointment, fear, sadness, all those things that we pick up through micro trauma and macro trauma of life that the world says, don't, don't work on those. Those are, it's so important to do that. Then there's health set, which is your physicality and soul set, which is your spirituality. And you, you say like, where does someone start finding your spirituality? And that's not necessarily religious. It's just, learning to connect with the deeper part of you that knows the answers to your biggest questions, mm. your deeper wisdom. I always, I, I believe that. And I always found that it was interesting for me. I sort of reverse engineered into a physical practice because it was almost like somehow that was the easiest way for me to get home, uh, some level of homeostasis. Mm -hmm. Like after you exercise and train and maybe you eat pretty good, I felt like that was the cheapest therapy for me because I, I couldn't like undo, you know, so many of the things that I was trying to understand, but I was better equipped to take a look at it and in and perspective. And that's why I'm always encouraging people, listen, if at least if at least if you can try to find ways to feel pretty good, even in the avatar, mm -hmm. just in the because that's a tangible practice. Sometimes the spiritual, it's like the, sometimes people it's an it's a just a different lead but sometimes i feel like the body the vessel if you can get that sort of feeling pretty good that that makes sort of these other things also easier cuz you can have the fire of the spirit where you get that 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 calling that yearning that purpose mm -hmm. but a lot of times people then don't they don't can't get out of their own way i mean i'm sure you see people all the time where you go okay here's the book here's the you've hired me i'm telling you step by step practices and they just won't do it. It's you, what is, I mean, they can't, they can't, they can't get there. It's true. So maybe we should talk about some actual tactical practices. And I've been, we live in a world that loves the tactics. We live in a world. It's always like, show me what to do. How can I get out Thanks. of it? Give yeah. me the five things. And so, so let's, let's jam on the, the, you know, the book has hundreds of tools this for, for productivity, creativity, yes. doing great work, like killing your darlings. There's that chapter, yeah. productive, um, uh, living a world-class life. But before we get into the text, I do want to suggest that methodology without philosophy is an empty victory because you can have great tactics or productivity or feeling happier or healthier or more peaceful in this very volatile world. 
But if you haven't thought through a philosophy of how you want to live, like what are the values, like what are the beliefs I want to build my life by, you know, who are the heroes that resonate with me? If you haven't thought about your philosophy, how you want to conduct yourself as a human being on your earth walk in life school, mm-hmm. then all the techniques are going to make you more efficient at doing the wrong things. Peter Drucker, the, the uh, great management guru, he said, there's nothing so useless as doing efficiently that which should not be done at all. Yes. So philosophy, I think I'm big on philosophy and, and philosophy doesn't sound sexy, but philosophy is just, what's the truth? What's yeah. your truth? Yeah. Like, is it, you want to be the most kind person in the room? You want to follow your heart and be, live here? You, you, you know, so tactics, I would say some things that help have helped me a great morning routine. I've been, I've been on this. I wrote The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari 25 yeah. years ago. I was writing about morning routine then. And I still believe anyone who's listening that says, you know, how can I have more energy, feel better about myself, be more productive? I would say join the 5 a.m. club, win the battle of the bed, put mind over mattress. And then people are going to say, I don't want to get up early. It's just yeah. like we were talking off camera. I don't want to get in an ice bath. Right. But University College London says if you do something for 66 days in a row, you reach a point of automaticity. Mm-hmm. So all change is hard at first. It's messy in the middle and it's gorgeous at the end. Every one of us can change. That's part of the human spirit, but it's also part of the human brain, as I mentioned, the neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. It's just we don't stay with the program long enough to allow our neuro neurology and our neurobiology to kick in for the new habit to be installed. So I'd say, number one, get up a little earlier. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by Ritual. I've personally been taking Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin since right when COVID hit. I was looking for something supportive and powerful. Someone suggested it to me and lo and behold, I got I did some research and what I love about them is, so women were kept out of research until 1993 by federal law and Ritual really knows how important women are. Obviously, if you're going to be selling them vitamins, they're essential. And they conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their essential for eight women 18 plus multivitamin to really assess its efficacy. So right there, I was intrigued and even more intrigued by the results. It increased vitamin D, which is what I was looking for, by levels up to 43% and omega-3 DHA, so important, levels by 41%. And that was just in 12 weeks. So they take the time and energy to figure out, hey, you know, does this work? And is it going to be good for these women? And not to mention that what they do is so smart. They, they kind of hone in on nine key nutrients and they put it in two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption. So if you're going to spend the time and energy to really, you know, navigate taking supplements, everything is bioavailable. Your body can absorb it. It don't know what to do. And it's really gentle on your on your stomach. So you don't have to worry about like, oh, I have an empty stomach or after food or before food. They just take away all of those pressure points and make it as easy as possible and give you comfort in knowing also that Ritual's multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, gluten and major allergen free. They're a certified B Corp and all of their ingredients are made traceable. 
don't get me started, the nice little finished touch of the minty kind of aftertaste that they put in it. I mean, they've really thought about everything. So if, you've, if you're interested, if you're in need, no more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. You will get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash Gabby. If you want to start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today, that's Ritual, R-I-T-U-A-L dot com slash Gabby to get 25% off your first month. Tell me how you feel about this. It has to be, okay, you get up at eight, now get up at six or five. It's like, hey, get up 15 minutes earlier. Do that for a week. Get up 15 minutes earlier. I don't know. Like sometimes I feel like, and you you could say, hey, I don't agree with that. I'd love to get your feeling about that. It's like people think that it's, it's all at once, all and I go, I don't know if that's sustainable. A little bit, a little bit, you know, like your worst food habit each day or each week. Let's just start there. Not, mm. okay, go vegan right now. It's like that people can't do that, I don't think. Um, I don't know. How do you feel? Or is it like just set the time and let's go? I think it depends on the person. I was Fair watching enough. I was watching a great mm. Documentary on Anthony Bourdain, yeah. Roadrunner. Did you see it? I did. Okay. So <laughs> someone who was interviewing him in it said, um, oh, yeah, like you just quit heroin cold turkey. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, I did. Yeah. You, do you remember that? I do. Right? Yeah. So some people can do that. Right. And some people can, and I'm not comparing and I'm not being in any way disrespectful, but some people will say, I'm tired of not having enough energy. Yeah. And living my life right now. And everyone's talking about this 5 a.m. club thing. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up at 5 and then I'm going to do it the next day and next day. And probably after a week or two, the neurobiology starts to kick in. Mm -hmm. A new neural, neural circuit starts to set up. And maybe this metaphor will be helpful for all your viewers from around the world. But let's say there's a new habit you want to install. It's like you're in a mountain meadow. And the first day you do it, you walk through the mountain meadow. But after a week or two walking through this mountain meadow, the mountain meadow, due to your practice and your commitment and your dedication, becomes a trail. As you keep on walking on that trail every day, you know, because consistency is the mother of mastery. And if you fall off and it's no problem, don't beat yourself up. Keep walking the trail, eventually becomes a road. And the skill eventually, as you keep on practicing it, the road becomes a highway. As you keep on walking the highway, it becomes a super highway. And then eventually a fatty tissue called myelin starts to circle around it, which allows you to have advanced perception. And then that, that creates the superstar athletes, the people who know where the puck is going versus where it is. So the first thing I would say is a great morning routine. Mm -hmm. Start off with exercise. Even if you if you have, don't have a lot of energy, a little bit of vigorous exercise will release right. dopamine, which is your inspirational neurotransmitter, release serotonin, which will make you feel better. It'll reduce cortisol, which is the fear hormone. It'll release norepinephrine, which will give you more focus. Great way to start the day. Related to the that is a little bit of gratitude and reading something philo philosophical is is powerful no matter what what your life looks like. Uh, prayer has been very big for me. If you don't believe in like if you're not religious, scientific prayer. Well, well that's the thing I say. Like prayer is a form of meditation. Yes, so if it people is. can't connect with, then just say fine, meditate. Just meditate. But there's something about prayer that I don't know. I think is so beautiful different differently because it makes me feel connected to everyone and then this idea that something is greater 
And it doesn't have to be an entity that's here to punish me or it's a guy with a white beard. I don't mean that. But there is something, not just that, I think there's something to be going internally mm -hmm. in that meditation state. There's something where you're doing a self-inquiry. Like, hey, how, how am I doing? How's my, do I need to have a conversation with anyone? How's my relationship? Is, you know how you even meditate on your kids and you go, how are they doing? Like, there's something about meditation for in, but for me, something about prayer, about sort of a greater, I don't know, connection, where it also gives me a perspective on, uh, I don't know, it helps maybe to be small sometimes, to be, like, even your problems, right? You're like, okay, come on, it's going to be okay. Like, these things are, are, are going to be okay. When you were talking about your philosophy, I call it the, my code. And I tell my girls, it's like, you have to develop your code so that wherever you go in your life, you're living by your code. And if someone is doing something that doesn't impact your code, usually it means if they're having bad behavior that you all of a sudden are like, oh yeah. And then you're in the mud with them, but you're like, mm -hmm. oh, my code is at least at first, I'm going to take the high road. I'm going to avoid hassle, whatever. I mean, I'm perfectly fine to go into confrontation but it has to be really well worth it, I think. But it's getting people to understand that your code is, your philosophy is your responsibility. You, you're being responsible for that. You're building that and doing that. And I, I think when I've read uh, your Everyday Hero Manifesto, and I also uh, read your other, uh, I wrote this down, um, not the monk, I did the, the book after. Oh no, who will you cry? I mean, who will cry when you die, right? Is this idea though of there's a, still a, a message of accountability. You're encouraging people to take the power to get involved in what's happening. I appreciate that about what you're saying. You're, you're giving them ways to do it, but you're also in there as like, you have to do it. Well, there, there's one of the chapters in the Everyday Hero Manifesto called the Chestnut Seller Doctrine. And one night, I spent a lot of time in Europe. And one night, it was late at night, and I was in this beautiful square, and I was watching the moonbeams dance off, you know, bounce off the, off the cathedrals. And I saw the luxury stores were all closed, and tourists were ending their long dinner in, a beautiful, in beautiful restaurants. And in one square in particular, there sat a lonely figure. And I still remember Gabby, he had a blue woolen cap on. And he was hunched over a stove, just like a makeshift stove. So I walked over and I noticed he was roasting chestnuts. And I said to him, I said, you know, it's amazing, but it's so late at night and you're sitting here roasting chestnuts. And he said, you know, I'm an immigrant to this country. I fell ill. I was a very successful business person. I lost my fortune. I lost my house. I lost my business. I came to this country. And now I bought this little stove and I buy a few chestnuts and I roast them and I put them in these little paper bags and I sell them to tourists all day as they walk by. And he said, you know, I've lost a lot of things, but I haven't lost my ability to make people happy. Mm. And I haven't lost my ability to do this work. And I think we have a choice every day. We can resign ourselves to victimhood or we can own our own heroism. So the code you've, you're talking about is very powerful. You know, it's like, how do I want to live my life? And that book that you mentioned, Who Will Cry When You Die, it talks a lot about legacy, but I don't believe about in legacy anymore. The end of this book is forget about legacy. Everyone's talking about legacy. It's like, you know, Joseph Campbell's idea to live in the hearts of those who leave behind is never to die. 
Mm-hmm. But why does it matter what your legacy is? Because we're going to end up as a pile of dust in an urn over someone's fireplace next to their little league trophies. Yeah. It doesn't matter how you'll be remembered when you're no longer here. I truly believe what matters is how you live while you're alive. Did you use your promise and your potential to materialize your creativity and productivity? Is it easy? No. A life of incredible regret is much harder. Did you use your life to, to, to experience the beauty of life, even in this plague that we're in? You know, did you find benefit? Did you find the magic that's still there if you look for it? Did you use your life to, to find love? Did you turn difficulties into growth? Mm-hmm. And did you make the world, did you leave the world better than you found it? I think those are some of the things that are, that are really important. And, and they are very, they are very overwhelming for people. I think you're on a, you're in a different um, level and you've also seen things happen and, and you're a messenger, right? Like you're here to help everyone go like over here kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I would say to people who are listening to this, I think start with at least one of those, just start with one and then, and then go from there. So you First of all, what's your relationship? Like, I always am interested with someone like you. Do all your friends come to you to solve their issues? Is there anyone you lean on to and go, hey, I'm having a hard day, like for real, and that's there to help you? Because you're the guy who helps everybody. Well, I, I've got a great family. I've got a, a wonderful partner named Elle, and she's just, um, she's so wise. She's so supportive, and she's one of the few people who really get me. She just gets me. And I think that's, you know, there's a chapter in the book called The Eight Forms of Wealth. If you can find, and one of them is family. And if you can find someone in your life or people in your life who just get you, Mm. it's worth all the gold in the world. So she would be, you know, really very helpful. I've got two amazing children, Colby and Bianca, Mm -hmm. who are just always supportive. And and your son's very, sort of really interested in these same the same field as you are in, in a different way, but that, that must be interesting. It, it is. I didn't pressure him at all. He, he was a lawyer yeah. and, or, or uh, trained as a lawyer. Yeah. And then he writes this book called the Curveball, and he, he, you know, and he's off doing his own thing. And I never once said, you know, follow, follow what I do. But um, also I, so I have family, I've got great friends. You, you met me here. I mean, yeah. I'm blessed with an extraordinary team of people around me that I really love and respect enormously. I don't have a lot of friends. I could have a lot of friends. Um, but the friends I have are extraordinarily great friends. A lot of them are artists and they love great pasta and great art and we have amazing conversations. Um, Elle has a little chorky that she brought into my life. Oh no. So it's like a yeah, five. Yeah. So <laughs> her name is Holly and she's a uh, part, part uh, Chihuahua, part Yorkie. You didn't know you were going to love five pound anything that much? It's totally right. <laughs> like I thought, you know, it's a uh, Vishla, Hungry, Hungarian Vishla. That's the dog if I ever get a dog, mm-hmm. you know. And here she is. She's five pounds and she's just the wisest, most beautiful, brave hearted dog I could imagine. And then journaling is is a place where i pour pain or confusion or suffering so you know i know you you want to bring so much value to the people who trust you a great thing to do is today go out as simple as it sounds and buy a ten dollar journal and each morning when you wake up write about your hopes 
You know, don't ever lose your hope, no matter what the world looks like. Write about what you want next month to look like. If you could travel again, where would you go? Write about the woman or man or the person you wish you could become and write that every day until you start doing a seduction job on your lowest self. Mm. Journaling has got me through heartbreak because I pour the pain onto the written page. Journaling allows me to move from confusion to clarity. Journaling allows me to write about the future I want. Journaling allows me to install habits. Uh, Habit researchers call it a pre-commitment strategy. So you say, here's what I want to do tomorrow, get up at five or be better at work or worry less. You you write about worrying. So many people are worrying. You identified that. Write about your worries, get them out of your system onto a page. So that's another tactic. You know, journaling is phenomenal. It's someone said, you know, that worrying is something to do. You know, like people sometimes are looking for something to do and they go, well, worrying is something to do. It's not necessarily working in your favor, but it's like, at least like, oh, what are you doing? I, well, I'm worrying, you know, mm-hmm. I, uh, I, is there something that right now, um, cause we go through different phases, right? All of a sudden it's like, we're this age in life and we're looking back. I always joke, my youngest daughter, I have my youngest is 14. And I, I said to someone the other day, just in a few more years, I mean, I've been parenting for 25 years, but just in a few more years, by the time she moves out, I think I will start to be okay at parenting. It's going to be amazing, you know, <laughs> just when they are gone. But um, like for you, cause you have two children, did you come out of parenting sort of going in one way and then did something about that change your philosophy because it's with kids right we're not objective it's our kids it's this is important was there something that you learned in that process as a parent as somebody who's really informed you have a really good perspective but was there anything in there that surprised you they're like oh i didn't you know because parenting is a different part of us you know, one of the things I, I love about your podcast is you you touch not only health and all the other issues, but you talk about parenting. And I don't talk about it a lot, mm-hmm. yet I learned, I, I've learned so much about parenting. One of the things I learned was from Joseph Kennedy, JFK's father. And I learned, you know, whenever he would bring someone interesting home for dinner, he insisted the young children sit around the dinner tables. Like, a lot, I'm not judging just reporting, but a yeah. lot of parents, it's like, go go in the family room. But Joseph Kennedy said, this interesting stateswoman, this interesting artist, this musician mm-hmm. is coming to dinner, sit there and ask questions. And that formed the philosophy of the kids at a very young age. Mm-hmm. I learned from... Jackie, Jackie uh, Kennedy, mm-hmm. she said, don't just be your the kid's parent, develop the kids. And so she thought, thought it was her responsibility to, to expose her children to art and great books and great places, and she traveled them. So those would be two of the things that have really helped me, as well as I've realized, like, I have an incredible relationship with my children, but I am not their friend. Right. I am their parent. Mm. So boundaries, I I believe a lot of people suffer, and I use the word intentionally, Gabby, they suffer in life and relationships and business and society because they don't have clear boundaries. And I think that comes from being raised without clear boundaries. So I adore my kids, but my job is not to be liked by my kids. My job is to set boundaries, share values when they get, they can figure out their own values as they get older, but, you know, try to lead by example. And then 
we could go on about parenting, but one thing that's really important in this digital age is a lot of people have family meals with devices. And for me, I was a fanatic about having family dinners. We love food. We'd eat, you know, I, I love to cook, mm -hmm. but there were no devices. There was no TV. There was just music, candles, and we love eating outside. And I would just, if I could make a humble suggestion, it's, you know, you have a very short window of opportunity with children. And once the window closes, it's really hard to open it up again. Yeah. And I've seen so many people arrive at the mountaintop of success. And then they have the, what I call FFA, fame, fortune, and applause, but they've lost JPF, joy, peace, and freedom yeah. because they don't have any connection with their children. And so those times, those moments where the, your child wants to play and you're on your phone, I think it sends a message to the child that they're not important. And I think people will really regret that loss of connection when, the, when as you say, the kids get older and move on. Yeah. And I, I think if someone does have an older child and let's say they feel like maybe they've blown that a little bit, I think uh, what I've learned, and I do have ad adult children as well, is that you can go ahead and talk to them about it. I think that let's say maybe you were had your you were working intensely and focused on the career because you thought you were providing for your family. I, there's nothing wrong with going to an adult child and saying, you know what, I'm recognizing this now. I'd like to apologize for that. And maybe we could find a way that is sort of comfortable for them to have a maybe start that up. I think you have to ask them what makes them comfortable to do that. So I, the other side of it is absolutely do it. You seize mm -hmm. those moments. But I think we also, there's something really powerful and, hey, I'm recognizing, I wish I had done this differently, mm -hmm. that our, our family, our children will give us a chance. I think they appreciate that. Um, but that they also have to be the architect of it. Not like you come in and go like, let's spend Sundays together now. They're like, yo, back off. This is how, what feels good to me. So I think there's something really uh, beautiful in that. What's the, what is the hardest job you've had? Before I answer that, I'd, I'd love to just speak to what you said, because I think it's so, so profound and important, Okay. which is if we haven't been the parents we wanted to be, if we haven't been the humans we've wanted to be, if we haven't been the entrepreneurs we've wanted to be, if we haven't been the earthlings we've yeah. wanted to be, tomorrow's a new day. And I think it's really important what you just said. If we've hurt people, Maya Angelou said it beautifully. She said, once we know better, we can do better. Mm. And every single human being alive today is doing the best they can do based on where they're at. Yeah. And so we need to forgive other people, but we need to, and I think you're getting right to a key point, which is we need to forgive ourselves. One of the early chapters of the Everyday Hero Manifesto is it's okay not to be okay. In this world right now, we've got the plague, we've got social unrest, we've got economic volatility, we've got climate change, and it just goes on and on. If you're not feeling okay, if you're struggling, if you, if you feel like a failure and you've blown the past years of your life, what I want to say with great love and respect is you're exactly where you need to be to get to the place where you're going to become. It's like, I really believe, call it destiny, but I believe there's an, a set of invisible hands. I'm a very practical litigation lawyer. Yeah. The book is full of like tactics I've shared with many of the most successful people, professional athletes, but the book has a lot of spirituality as well. And I'm just sharing my philosophy, which is I believe there is a set of invisible hands, call it destiny, call it karma, but there is this majestic, almost magical 
unfolding of life where we experience the events, the circumstances, and people perfectly designed to help us get the lessons we need to get to become the people we're meant to be. And so if anyone's listening right now, you know, you don't feel okay. And I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you every morning I wake up and there's, you know, I'm dancing to, to music. With, with uh, you're rain. an intense guy. I can see it in your face. And with that, there's uh, people who like are that intense. Mm -hmm. You're battling that intensity all the time. I live with someone. I'm differently like that. Mm -hmm. But I love people who are, they're, they're going to the high polish, they're going to the piece, mm -hmm. but it's also because deep inside they're pretty heavy duty. It's not like you're like, ha ha ha, I'm a light spirited guy and let's have <laughs> peace. That's not what's happening. I can see it in your face. You're a person who is very focused and serious and intense and people don't realize that in that you're always battling to, you know, I want to talk, I want to walk around and talk to people all day long, like do it now. And be like, I would love to be that person. Like mm -hmm. I'm so, you know, direct, but I've learned that's not who I want to be. And those aren't the types of relationships. Mm -hmm. And I want to be compassionate. And also I don't want to have to clean up big messes. Mm -hmm. That takes a lot of time for me to be a little more thoughtful about my words. But if I could just be like, do it, be quiet, get up, sit up. Like I would love to walk around and talk like that. That's the intense real me inside. Mm -hmm. That doesn't work. And so I can see in you as somebody who's like, seriously, you haven't figured this out? Like, let's go. You know, like you have, because certain things are maybe easier or, and, and so I appreciate that. I think people would misconstrue, they see this mm -hmm. and they go, oh, look at him. It's so easy. Mm -hmm. It's so light. I don't think it is light at all. Well, first of all, I see who you're hanging around. Come first, on. First, first of all, <laughs> we 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 all have times in the sunshine of life, and if you want to live fully, yeah, which means leave no stone unturned. If you really want to take risks and dare and see what life is about and see how far you can go, then you're going to fail a lot. So I've had times in the on the mountaintop, in the sunshine, and I've had times in the valley of real darkness. One of the chapters in the Everyday Hero Manifesto is that time 10 years of my private journals vanished. That, that's just one thing. I dealt with and it taught me one of the greatest lessons of all of all time, I think, which is letting go. Mm. I mean, how powerful is the lesson of letting go? And then on your point about, you know, being intense. That's a compliment coming well, from me, by the way. Well, Just so you I know, mean, let's be clear. Let's be clear. Th thank you. You saw who I, you see the guy I'm married to outside? Yeah. Okay. So, sort, of, sort, of a, <laughs> sort of a famous No, but it's guy. not that. So. Forget all that. I'm talking, we joke about Laird when he comes on the deck outside when we're pool training. We call yeah. him the shark. Because yeah. he's just scanning all the time. I mean, Laird is in all the time. Well, here's what I've learned. I used to be like that all the time. But through my meditation, prayer, working with spiritual healers, I did a sweat lodge, which was very powerful. Not giving medical advice, but right. I did a sweat, sweat lodge, which was powerful. Years of journaling, years of acupuncture, years of hypnotherapy, like all these different yeah. modalities... What I would say now is what you see, if you see intensity, it's because this is a time for intensity. I want to share. I want to serve. I want to bring value to you and your, your people. Uh, you know, so this is, but I live my life in seasons. 
So when I was, I, I spent 16 months of the pandemic writing the Everyday Hero Manifesto. It was an obsession. It was a love letter to people's genius. I poured so much of my methodology in because I wanted to serve. I wanted to make it beautiful, handcrafted, whatever. And after that, I, start, I had fun. Mm. I mean, John Lennon says it so well. He said, time you enjoy wasting is not wasted time. If you look at the most productive people, great athletes, they have an on season, they have an off season. So if you're seeing any intensity or energy, it's because I'm here doing an interview with you and I want to deliver and I want to serve and I want to be helpful and I want to be good. But it might be that I might invite me next week where I mm -hmm. slow down and I spend, I'm going back home, more time with my family evenings reading, mm -hmm. et cetera. And then each year I have maybe four or five months of intensity, it might be a new book, a new online course, whatever the creative project is. I'm up at 4.15 doing all these things, but then I take time off for maybe a month, two, three months where I'm sunbathing and I'm reading and I'm having four hour dinners with my family. And I, so I think it I live my life, not in a linear way, but in a cyclical way. Well, and that's more true to, to to nature, right? Exactly. Like that's just more natural. And, and also I would imagine all of your inspiration comes in the, in the downtime because it gives you a chance to reboot, learn something new, think about it. People don't realize you can't just be out there being productive because you get no in, new input. Um, and so I think that that's really also such, such a beautiful thing. Um, but I, I only bring up the intensity because I think sometimes when people see you speak and they'll get your book, is there is this sort of really beautiful high polish that maybe they they're also not realizing you're a human being that's still doing the best that you can and it's probably not all gravy and easy and you're managing it you're having to live by these rules as well and so i think it's just important for people to be reminded that yeah you might be further down the journey but you're still, it's not like you fly out of bed every day, I would imagine, and be like, oh my gosh, it's perfect. I can't wait to get after it. I'm so excited. <laughs> you might be like, Rawr. like, you know, I feel that way sometimes. But I, but again, that um, hope that you talk mm. about, you know, that I, what gets me out besides my family, sometimes actually I'm hiding from them, let's face it, because they're, you know, they're intense, is, is the hope of the dream. Mm. Like, oh, what? What are we trying to produce today? What's that thing that is out there? So I, I can see that. The telephone, social media, um, do you have a do you have a framework around that? Do you have a discipline? Do you have a practice that you put that somewhere? What does that look like? Well, there is uh, the five great hour rule. You're an entrepreneur. I believe that you don't need to work for any more than five hours if you're an entrepreneur or you're with a company or an organization that will allow you to do this. But it's based on it's based on good research. The way we used to, the way we currently work, which is based on a philosophy, is let us work longer to produce more is from the factory era. Right. So on the assembly line, if we were there another three or four hours, we would produce more goods and it would be more quote unquote productive. We're now, you know, we're, we're, we're paid to think, we're paid to create. So work, I don't subscribe to the hustle and grind culture in any way. I think we're paid to think, I think we're paid to be fresh. So I encourage my clients 
to work five hours because it takes most people two weeks to get five real hours of world-class work done. Mm. They're playing with their phones, they're chit-chatting, they're distracted, they're yeah. worried. So if if you can work for five hours, eight o'clock to one o'clock every single day, and how do you do that? You create an ecosystem, I call it the tight bubble of total focus because an addiction to distraction is the death of your creative production. Yeah. Very few people do real work anymore. They do fake work. Five hours of monomaniacally focused, pristine work every day. You've got the rest of the day off. Mm -hmm. Go mountain bike, go meditate, go read, go pray, go journal, go to a movie, go to an art gallery, go have a dinner with your friend. So that would be one thing that's important. Another ritual that I think is very valuable is a zero device day. At least one day a week, take a digital Sabbath mm -hmm. where you actually turn off your phone. Not put it on airplane mode, but you turn off your phone. I think it's very powerful. I think also the rule that when you have a family meal, no devices whatsoever. Big time. I don't have notifications on. I'm not saying I'm so special. I no, hope no. I've never suggested and I'm not a guru. Even when you said, you know, farther along on the path, to me, if well, I... Or just I, a I different perspective. I don't think it is. I think like it would be judgmental for me to say well, I am farther along the path that someone else is. I'm just on my path where I'm meant to be and other yes. people are where they're meant to be. And to say that I'm on farther on the path or better is me, you know, judging them as, as inferior. I think we're well, all equal. Well, I think we're all equal too. I said it, you didn't. And if we were talking about, let's say volleyball, right? right. Maybe I'm a little further down the path in volleyball. Mm, fair enough, fair you enough. spent a lot of hours thinking about this. It didn't mean you're better. It just means you've been putting a lot of hours and mm. really thinking about this and turning it into real practices. So that's what I mean. I, I hear you. I mean, listen, I, I, I get uh, that we're certainly all of equal value. It's just, we're all doing, spending hours doing different things. That's why, you know, we can go to you. So is there any, when you deal with somebody who doesn't agree with you or mm -hmm. criticizes you, how do you approach that? Because I think part of, you know, these philosophies and these codes mm -hmm. is then dealing with that, how we want to deal with that as well. It's so, you know, I call it breadbasket deciding. If I go to a restaurant and I don't want to, I'm hungry and I say, okay, I don't want to eat the bread. I just want to try to get the food, but I'm hungry. If I don't decide before they put it down, I'll just mindlessly grab it. The impulse, right? We're, you know, impulses everywhere. We have all these human impulses that keep us sometimes slow us down from where we're trying to go. So if we have a strategy in place, I think, okay, if they put the basket down, I'm not eating the bread. I've already made a decision. Cool. It's done. And it's the same sometimes with conflict. I get criticized all the time, you know publicly or what have you. And sometimes it's, it's a lot of it is like a misunderstanding or someone else is frustrated or whatever is I have to pre-decide. I'm not going to take it personally. I'm not going to react in anger or out of my ego. It's like trying to have these things in place to also help me when I'm in the moment. Do you have anything like that where someone comes at you and it's like, Oh, you know, come on or they go for you online, which is everyone's really, you know, ballsy at that point. <laughs> Do you have something in place where you, you know, is it compassion? Is it, you know, what, what is it that helps you? So towards the end of the book, there's actually the, the model that helps me. It's called mm -hmm. the troll deconstruction. And that comes from me trying to figure out like, why is this person saying this? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, what? And so some of the elements of it have served me really well. One of them is Bob Dylan 
and I, it was a documentary where I heard him say, don't criticize what you don't understand. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're launching a new business or you're launching a new product and it's so revolutionary, you're going blue ocean versus following what's done, been done before. It's a really innovative product. The very nature of innovation means you are going to threaten the status quo. It means you're doing your job, but that's when the trolls come out to play. So just understanding that people criticize what they don't understand. And just because they criticize, it doesn't mean you should stop. Right. They criticized Gandhi. They criticized Elon Musk. They criticized, you know, yeah. Jesus and Muhammad and all the like the great every visionary is ridiculed before they're revered. So if people are criticizing you, you're probably doing your job. That'd yeah. be the first thing. Secondly, critics are degraded dreamers. When we were little kids, we had we had awe and wonder. We were like possibilitarians. But then we get hurt and we get broken and we contract. Mm. And we start to protect our once open heart. And so it's much easier for me to throw stones at you than to go, you're doing amazing things. You're modeling possibility, innovation, and excellence. Let me own my promise mm. and do the same. It's much easier for me to feel better in a moment to try to tear you down. I think our job as entrepreneurs and human beings is to take the stones that critics throw at us and build them into monuments of mastery that honor our promise. So the second thing is when you're doing something innovative, you threaten people and often you activate their pain that they've stuffed down. Yeah. Third thing I'd say is someone's opinion is just someone's opinion. You know, in the book, there's the example of JK Rowling. Mm -hmm. She, even when she wrote Harry Potter, became one of the most, a billionaire. Yeah. She used a, a pen name, Robert Galbraith, and she put out a book. This is, this is JK Rowling. Yeah. And she writes a book under another name, Robert Galbraith, and she sends it out and she gets back these letters. Maybe you should join a writing group. You really need some writing lessons. What else can I say? People have an opinion. Mm -hmm. Delete the energy vampires from your life if you can. Yeah. Try to say goodbye to the dream stealers who don't get you, who don't support you, who don't celebrate you. And please trust the voice of your instinct because it is so powerful and so wise. And the world may not understand you, but if you understand you, go ahead. I, I really think that that's very important, what you just said. I think living by your, developing your own instinct and trusting it, it's always a little uncomfortable and it's, it's never like, this is the way, but it's so worth it. I just think that that's such an important thing that you, that you just brought up. So I just have a few more questions. I think people are curious because you do work with such high level people don't need names. If I'm a CEO and I want you to come in and help me, what does that look like? What do they need help with? What, what are, what are some of them looking for and how do you get into it with them? A lot of them are looking to scale their fortunes. So then the mentoring assignment would be about making sure they have the right team, mm. the right culture, the right products, the right branding, the right impact. There's the model, the Titans decline. It's such a powerful model mm -hmm. because, you know, one of my clients used to be Blackberry and I saw in, I think it was Business Week two weeks ago, it was 
they turned out the lights. It was, they will no longer service the software. And right above it, Gabby, was Apple just hit $3 trillion. Yeah. And all I'm suggesting with great respect is BlackBerry dominated the domain for years. And how many athletes do you know, or how many movie star, film stars, or master craftspeople, they get to the top of the mountain, which is incredibly hard. Mm -hmm. But the DNA of legendary is longevity. How many people get to world class and can sustain world class? And so what I deconstruct in the book is it, there's a decline that businesses and people go through. And part of it is you stop doing the very things that got you there. Part of it is you fall in love with your own press clippings. Yes and you become arrogant and you forget about you know, the craft. Part of it is you've achieved, and this is a big one, I think this will resonate with you, you've achieved more than you or the world ever thought you would, mm. so why keep on pushing yourself and keep on going? Mm -hmm. So that would be part of the conversation if people wanted me to help them grow their businesses. Yeah. But you know what? A lot of them come to me for personal yeah. mentoring, and it would be much more about I've got everything in the world. I'm a multi-billionaire, but I think I'm a, I feel like a fraud and I don't have any happiness and I'm worried all day and, you know, I drink too much or I have all these addictions or whatever, or I'm not connected with my family. Please help me find happiness and some some peace and help me enjoy the fruits of all of my labor. Mm -hmm. Don't you, aren't you always like in awe of the repetitive story? Mm. You know, you see, it's just, it's, I mean, I know cliches are cliches, but sometimes you see and you go, really, you fell for that? Like we have a million examples of that and, you know, people just lining up to do the same thing over. And I always find that fascinating that we can't, I think it's hard to work really hard at something and navigate that path simultaneously, especially when you have your head down. And then it's sort of like, how do you develop these other skills once you get there? You know, athletic, in athletics, it's okay, train, compete but then we're sort of deficient in certain ways and same with uh, certain business people. So in sort of wrapping up, before I wrap up, Justin, do you have any, uh, every guy, every day, every householder questions? <laughs> yeah. Was there like a point when you, were, you, you said that like your first, uh, you were a lawyer, like what was that moment where you're like, this isn't fulfilling? Like what was like a wall? Like what point you said, hold on, there's more that I can take my message and do good with it? It's a great question. It wasn't a moment. It was a process. Mm -hmm. it, it, some people have that moment where it's like, oh, I just get it and I'm going to make the change. And for me, it was a growing recognition that, okay, I've listened to the advice. I've done what society says. You should get a good education, work really hard, become a lawyer, live in the right neighborhood. And I feel incredible empty. It's this great term called existential angst. I just felt this angst. And for whatever reason, I, I started following it and I started learning these methods. And then I self-published this book. You know, I, I talk about in the book, the first editor saying, basically, the book's a piece of garbage. I'm, so, I'm sure my letter is disappointing you. You can't really write. And I sat in my car and I went like, am I a fool? But for whatever reason, I continued. But it wasn't. It was a process more than a moment. Journey, yeah. And that book did well. Let's just also <laughs> say that. I just like to say that. So, if you could do, uh, and and maybe this is too simplistic. So you you can expand however you feel. If a person, whether it's in their 
they're thinking of being an entrepreneur or changing their craft, which we all know is scary. They're dealing with something in their personal life, like a relationship and then their health. Do you have an invitation for people or just something to think about in those areas where if they're, um, you know, sort of banging a wall to either get started, make a move, you know, in relationships, it could be getting out of a relationship. I don't always mean entering into a relationship. It's like really taking ownership of your whole life. Do you have, you know, maybe just an invitation to people uh, to sort of prompt them into uh, in starting the change? Mm -hmm. In each of those specific areas? Yeah, if you have one. or Sure, sure. Wow. Uh, I would say in relationships... I think I think your your heart knows what's wisest, mm. and often there's I don't mean to keep going to the book, but yeah. there's a chapter a red flag is a red flag. Yeah, no, that's why we're here to talk about the book. But, but you know, I mean, like, yeah. isn't how many times in a relationship have we seen a red flag and we knew it was a red flag, mm. but we wanted it to be a green light, mm. and it messed up our lives. Yeah. Now, does that mean that we're you're going to find someone with no issues, or let's use a better term, with with no flaws? But we're all flawed. Yeah. No, we think we're perfect. It's our partner that's flawed, right? <laughs> that's the, the way it is. But I, I think there are certain non-negotiables that we should think about in a love relationship. Like for me, it's honesty. Yeah. And if you see someone lying, if I see someone lying, it's a total red flag. And was it, wasn't it Maya Angelou who said, when someone shows you who they are, believe them, believe them. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'd say about a relationship. And I would say, you know, avoid drama. I don't, I personally, you can work through things, no question, but I don't do drama. I do peace. And so that's really important. And so much of your entrepreneurial life, your creative life, the, the immunity and, and, inflammation it comes down when there's like no stress with the relationship so that's one thing i'd say about that in terms of as an entrepreneur i mean it's such a great question i, I would say um don't copy your marketplace the marketplace pays for originality and one of the snares i see most entrepreneurs doing is they go oh these are the companies that are doing well in my space let me brand like them let me copy their products let me have the same story and there's no differentiation and i think we are paid as entrepreneurs to bring magic to the marketplace. I was listening to an interview of Steve Jobs, a tribute after he died. Mm -hmm. And it was like, he didn't do focus groups. He said, here's what I, I know will make people be fall into delight, the iPhone, the iMac, et cetera, Pixar. And this is what we're going to bring to them. He just had that instinct of what people wanted. So I would say to entrepreneurs, Bring something beautiful and fresh that upgrades people's lives into the marketplace. And even when people don't get it, stay with it mm -hmm. until they really get it. And that's the story of, you know, Elon Musk and Apple and it goes on. Yeah. And then I think as a human being, what I would say, if there's one thing, uh, and then I can give you a tactic if you want, but it's, mm -hmm. it sounds, it just sounds so simple, but you know, so many of us have, have so much doubt and we disbelieve and we want, you know, we suffer from comparison and we don't think we're enough. But I just want to want to say, you know, every, every human being has such wisdom within them. Every human being has such an ability to be honorable. 
it is the tragedy that teaches us strength. It is the difficult times that introduce us to our wisdom. And so for all the people who follow you from around the world, I just want to say, you know, you might not own how powerful and good and loving and decent and brave you can be. But if you do the work, like small little steps every day, meditation, maybe it's prayer, maybe it's journaling, maybe it's a nature walk, maybe it's surfing, maybe it's leaning into one difficult thing every day, maybe it's just smiling at someone to uplift their day. Small daily, seemingly insignificant improvements when done consistently over time lead to stunning results. It's, am it's, it's amazing who we can make ourselves into over a few months. It doesn't happen in a day, but we have such power to become the people we want to be. And I, and I, I think uh, that that's a practice that even like when we talk about our self-care, our, our physical self-care, those small little changes, you do arrive somewhere and, and, uh, I know people feel overwhelmed. I mean, there's times that I want to make changes and I'm like, oh, that's going to take a lot of energy. And, you know, you almost have to be like ready to open the box a little. And and it's different when it's certain changes, like maybe for people, if it's a certain nutritional or exercise adding, but smiling at someone at a store or offering to take their cart back, let's say. It's a very small thing. Like you go to the grocery store and someone's like just finished and you're going in, you're like, you done? You want me to take your cart? How long does that take? And that was just being like a, you know, a thoughtful human being. Like I'm going that way. I'll save you the trip. And you feel good. Those little things make you feel really, really good. And I think people are scared to do it, to have those little, because you're putting yourself out there a little bit. Maybe if you go, hey, good morning, because mm -hmm. maybe someone's going to reject you. And, and sometimes they are, maybe they're just in their head. Like you said, they're, they're doing the best they can. You have a lot of tactics. I love that word. That's, you know, on uh, CEOs love and athletes, right? They love that word. Like tactics. Oh, tactic. Yeah. Tactics. Um, but you have a ton of them in your, in the everyday hero manifesto. What are athletes looking for? Just curious. In my experience, athletes, first of all, they want to, what the research says is the greatest athletes and you and your family like are world class on this, but there's an idea called capitalization. And I think of a documentary I watched called The Good Son, and it was about Rocky, um, a boxer. Mm -hmm. Tragically, he killed a, he killed a, a fighter in the ring. Yeah. Do, you, do you remember? His, I do. Do you remember his the name? The Korean was, fighter. The Korean fighter. Yeah. It was, uh, uh, it was uh, the guy from Ohio. Was it Rocky something? No, it's uh, it's it's the fighter from Ohio. It's, um, what's his name, Justin? Oh, Ray Boom Boom Mancini. Yes, Ray Mancini. He's from Youngstown, Ohio. Exactly. So yeah. I'll never forget yeah, it because Gabby, old... yeah, it was tragic. And it's an incredible documentary, The Good the Good Son. Yes. But he said, my brother was a much better, naturally a much better athlete. He was taller and had longer arms, et cetera. He said, but I had more heart. And so what athletes are looking for is there's a term, I believe it's by um, the American psychologist, uh, James Flynn, and it's called capitalization. So it's not how much potential we're born into or, or natural mm -hmm. talent. It's through practice, good coaching, how much of it can we capitalize upon? So I right. think that's one thing. I think also a lot of athletes want to get to the top of the mountain. And then the ones who are at the top of the mountain, they want to be able to sustain it. And that's mm -hmm. why, you know, you look at a Michael Jordan you know, just that, that hunger, the work ethic, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think that would be one thing the athletes are yeah, looking I'm for. I'm always fascinated by, you know, 
what athletes are looking for. I, I always try to encourage athletes too, to keep looking ahead though. I say, you're like a loaded gun. What's your next target? Don't mm-hmm. try to keep hitting the same target over and over at us by mm-hmm. a certain point. I don't know. There's a lot to life. So in, in wrapping up the show, um, is there any, just anything else that you want to say that maybe I, I haven't covered that feels important to you or, uh, you know, a call to action for people or anything like that? I, I think the call to action is there's a lot going on in the world right now. And, and having said that, uh, there's also a lot of good in the world right now. There's a lot of really good people in the world yeah. right now. There's a lot of uh, really great opportunities in the world right now. And, um, you know, the darkness always, always turns to light. There is great hope coming. And if we can't go out, if you're in a situation where you can't go out, then go within. If you're in a situation mm-hmm. where you can't travel, it's a great time to look within and try to work, work on yourself. And I just say the world has taught us that heroes are the Mandela's and the Rosa Parks and the Mother Teresa's and the Gandhi's and the Hedy Lamar's and the Albert Einstein's. But we all really do have heroism within us, whether we own it or not. And just using today to make a choice, which is I'm going to start this process to remake myself into a braver, stronger, more loving human being. Um, I mean, I think it's an incredible invitation and opportunity for every single one of us. And last thing I'd say is when I was growing up, my dad used to say, Robin, when you were born, you cried while the world rejoiced. He said, Robin, live your life in such a way that when you die, the world cries while you rejoice. Mm. And Gabby, you made, you talked about kindness and you're right. Like we're, we're afraid of rejection. So we're not kind, but just being decent and kind to people. It's so, you're right. It's so easy to do. And you're right. It makes you just feel so good. Yeah. If you go to a checkout and you say to someone, Hey, how you doing today? Yeah. You know what they say? What? Yeah, what? No one asked them. Totally. The one benefit of being a six foot three woman, usually when you say good morning to people, they go, oh, hello, hello, good morning. I'm like, yeah, yeah, good morning. <laughs> That's what we're doing. We're being nice today. No. <laughs> okay, Robin Sharma, the Everyday Hero Manifesto. Is it on Audible? Uh, it's on Audible. People. I would say this is a workbook, though. Also, I have certain books that I'm like, this is like a workbook. But there is something to be said for someone who can read it beautifully that can also bring you into the ideas, that you can feel the ideas and not just read the ideas. So I want to encourage people, whichever way, you know, works for them that they, because you give a lot of information, a lot of tactics. So lots of, lots of, full of of tactics, (laughs) a lot of tactics. Thank you. Real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.